0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. First Peter uh, will continue in our, our passage in chapter three um, by addressing husbands. Now, last week we addressed wives as the gospel changes and it shapes, transforms our social relationships with government, with our uh, in our workplace and our neighborhoods and even in our marriage and by addressing husbands Peter rounds out his discussion on submission on authority and leadership in relation to God's people and the people that God's placed in our lives and I mentioned last week that the instruction Peter gives to wives is six verses and the instruction that Peter gives to husbands is one verse and the length of the instruction is not equivalent to the weight of the instruction as you'll see the instruction to husbands, even though it's only one verse, is incredibly weighty and it has with it a lot of force. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Men, you might have your thumb on that passage, but it's a simple verse. It's one verse. And so just listen clearly here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them, to the women, as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, Of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, the path of a Christian life is no different for the husband and the wife. Both are called to follow Christ out of obedience and submission to him. Both are called to extend grace to one another uh, when they are wronged and offended. Both serve one another in their marriage relationship. But since the husband's role is different, the way he serves will be different. The wife is called to be submissive to her husband, and the husband is called to honor his wife. And so husbands are called to exercise a certain kind of leadership in the home. And here Peter elaborates on what this kind of leadership is. It's a kind of leadership in which wives will thrive. Wives and children and the home will thrive under this kind of leadership that Peter lays out. And so there are four vital points that emerge from verse 1. The first one is husbands, live with your wives. Isn't this an interesting place to start? Live with your wives. Living with your wife is is first and foremost something that you do. It's not just something that happens to you. Marriage is, is not just something that happens. Marriage is something that you do. Loving your spouse is not something that just happens. By merely being under the same roof as your wife and Sleeping in the same bed does not mean that you are living with them. It does not mean you are actually engaging with them in life. So it's something that you're doing. It's an active participation. Understanding your wife is not something that just happens by being roommates with them for a very long time. And maybe you have felt that frustration. You've been married for 10, 20, 40 years and you're still, why don't I understand where she's coming from? Because understanding your wife doesn't happen. It's something that you do. Live with your wives. Sometimes a husband doesn't make a decision until, he, until the wife reminds him that he ought to do it. Think of this word, the word let's. Who uses that word more in your home? Let's. Is it the wife or is it the husband? Let's go out to dinner tonight. Let's put our phones down. Let's cuddle. Let's play with the kids. Let's really stick to our budget. Maybe, that's the, maybe the husbands are saying that one, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's the wife. Who says the word let's more in your home? You see, whoever says that word let's, that's, a, that's an element of leadership. That's an essential element of Christ-like husbandry is to take initiative, is to engage, is to initiate in that. The idea of this kind of initiative is a pursuit that is personal and emotional and physical and relational it's a specific commitment to actively love your wife where she is right now in your life so peter is saying live with your wives engage in this sort of leadership in your home by being committed to the well-being of your wife right where she is right now in her life not where you want her to be in five years from now or ten years from now but engaging with your wife in her life today And the manner in which Peter says that we ought to engage is here. in the second point, in an understanding way, uh, literally according to knowledge, men should know their wives. Men should understand their wives. Men cannot excuse lazy leadership by claiming ignorance. I don't understand women. Let me address that phrase, because this is an important one, probably one that you have said if you're a guy, that you have said, if you're a husband, you've said this about your wife, I don't understand women. But here's a good, here's a good uh, um, I don't know, here's an encouraging word. You don't have to understand women. You have to understand your wife. I don't get women, man. You don't have to get women. Get your wife. Know your wife. The husband must dwell with his wife as the one who knows her needs, knows her thoughts, recognizes her nature and her feelings. So men in this way are, are scientists with a very specific field of study. Peter says, know your wife. You don't have to know women in general. You don't have to be a, 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 science, a scientist of, of women ideology and philosophy, but your wife. Know her. Get to know her. Let her be this narrow field of study. Understand her. Get to know her preferences, her likes, her dislikes, her pains and her joys, her moods. So to what end, you might think, to the end of being able to love and care for her like Jesus? So Godly leaders don't wait for things to happen. Godly leaders uh, engage and take initiative. And the Bible talks about this role as the husband as, as a head, the head of his wife and head of the home. And so the headship of a husband is this picture of the headship of Christ that he has in the church who he sought after, who he pursued, who he laid down his life for so that we, the church, could have a relationship with Christ, that we might be in this bond of unity and friendship and intimacy with him. This role of leadership, this unique role of leadership that God has honored men with is so that we could care for our wives as Christ does for the church. How does a a man get this? How do we do this? How can we live with our wives in an understanding way? How can we get to know who they are? It is gained through two efforts. The first one is through a thoughtful study of God's word. How can we know what God desires of us as husbands and how we ought to love our wives unless we get to know God's design for marriage, his heart for marriage, his purpose in marriage, his hope for marriage? We learn about God's purpose in marriage as we go to His Word. And the second effort is through an unhurried time of private fellowship with your wife. And by doing this, you will get to know her, you will pursue her, you'll learn about her pains, her joys, her feelings, her strengths, and her struggles. And so without these two things, uh, a husband is constantly in a crisis mode of understanding their wife. You see, without a thoughtful study of God's Word and an unhurried commitment to relational uh, relationally getting to know their wife, men are always going to just respond in crisis. We are always going to be reactors rather than initiators. Here is what the crisis might look like. The wife says this, I really need some help around here. And the husband says, just tell me what to do. And I, honey, you know, you tell me what to do and I will help. I'm here to help. i will here to support you. Let me know. Anytime you tell me to do anything, I will jump right in and help. That's not leadership. That is crisis mode participation. It is men saying, the way that I will lead is I will lead in a crisis. I will lead uh, when you tell me what to do. But a husband to live with his wife in an understanding way is to anticipate the challenge, anticipate the struggle, anticipate the frustration, and engage in that. Husbands are often ready and willing to offer help but we're not called to help. We're called to lead. Are you a forever student of your wife? Are you a forever student? What is, this is what that means to live with them in an understanding way, to be a forever student. Even maybe you should keep a file. <laughs> keep a file. Does not appreciate sarcasm. <laughs> Check. <laughs> and by the way, I... I I asked my wife to serve in the nursery today <laughs> uh, so that I would not incriminate myself. <laughs> because I, I'm, a, I'm a husband who is uh, who's a weak and sinful husband uh, desiring to be more like Jesus in that relationship. I'm not one who has perfected this. I'm not one who is on the other side of this, now speaking to husbands, uh, uh, knowing what I'm talking about. I'm one as, pre- as coming to God's Word seeing my failures and weaknesses, embracing and affirming God's call in my life, and engaging in that with courage. And I hope that you will do the same. How can we do this together? Keeping a file on our wives. And I don't mean like, well, yeah, literally it can be a great thing. Taking note. Okay, why not? We keep, we keep lists and, and, uh, of things far less important. How much time and how much paper did you go through studying, you know, preparing for the NFL draft? You know, for fantasy football. How many players did you study their injury reports, their strengths, their weaknesses, their scouting report? How much did you study so that you could play a game? Well, God has given you a wife and has said there is no relationship on earth that has been created and formed by me that is a better example of my love for the church than marriage. How much more than studying uh, the NFL draft and the, the scouting report should we study and know our wives to the end of loving them well and engaging in that lifelong process of joy and honor and glory to God. We take notes on far less important things. How much time do you spend learning the manual of that multifunction drill or that, you know, the nose trimmer that you got? <laughs> Man, this is sweet. I got to figure out how to use this and all, the, all this functionality. Okay, when do I charge it? And you're thinking, Pete, men don't read the manuals. But I read the manuals. I, I study these things. So I ask you, how is the missus? I mean, seriously, how is she doing? How is your wife if you are married? This is the joy, the honor, uh, and the responsibility that God has given to you as a husband. To live with your wife in an understanding way, knowing who she is, so that you can love her and lead her well. How is she doing? Third is an important one, because uh, he feeds right into this, because women are weaker vessels. Don't you love being called that, ladies? Now listen, don't get up. I had nightmares about this. They're they're all going to leave. And the men are going to look at me and say, what do I do now? I don't know. Go run after her, I guess. Before you get up and leave, here's what this means. Peter doesn't specify what kind of weakness this is. But it can be appropriately understood to mean any kind of weakness in which a husband would need to be cautioned to not take advantage of any kind of weakness that husbands need to be reminded and cautioned to not take advantage of that weakness. It could mean physically. You know, Following this command to live with wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel is counterintuitive to how husbands and most men will live because men at a very early age are trained to exploit weakness rather than to honor weakness. Vessels is used in Scripture often to mean the body, It's a jar or it's a canister. It's often used to refer to the human body. And Peter is simply meaning this. And it's a general term because I know it's not exclusive or exhaustive to women. But generally speaking, women are physically weaker than men. There are many exceptions. But generally speaking, men are larger and stronger than women. In the middle of the night, you're laying in bed. And you hear out in the living room or kitchen a window break. Who's getting up? It's gonna be the men, most likely. It is going to be the man who is expected to get up and to rush into that danger. Because he is more physically stronger. And dumb. I keep telling, you know, (laughs) don't don't run, you don't run to the noise. Scripture never tells us that women are weaker morally or mentally. Scripture never allows us permission or reason to believe that women are morally, spiritually, mentally weaker. The Bible tells men to do something that is 180 degrees outside of their carnal and natural bent, and that is to honor weakness. You see that gap in left field? Hit the ball there. In football, here take the ball. You see that skinny kid? Run through him. Men, as early on as young boys, we are taught to exploit weakness, and these aren't bad things. In its essence, in sports and in other ways, these aren't bad things to exploit weakness. But Peter is saying you're going to have to do a 180 when it comes to loving your wife like Christ, and living with her in an understanding way, and honoring her as a weaker vessel instead of exploiting weakness where your wife is weaker than you you must honor her see you can mean physically you can mean emotionally women generally have a greater emotional sensitivity i say generally because this is not the case in our home <laughs> for instance however while emotional sensitivity is a great strength well i keep telling janae that it also means that wives and sometimes husbands are more likely to be hurt by conflict in marriage or or by inconsiderate behavior of their husbands. Women are generally more likely to be hurt by, by negligence, by insincere or inconsiderate words or actions. When your wife shows weakness in that area, if you do anything but honor it, you're dishonoring God and your prayers are hindered. We'll get to the prayers thing in just a minute. Do you, do you read that? Do you hear that? When we see, when husbands see the weakness of their wives, if we do anything but honor it, we're dishonoring God. What does this mean to honor? Well, at a, at a bare minimum, it means that husbands never bully, never threaten, never shove, never hit their wives, nor should they ever demean them for being weak or slow physically or emotionally, what else does it mean? The phrase is honor. Honor the woman. Now he's obviously talking about the wife, but he doesn't. He takes a change here. He, you know, he's talking about the wife, the wife, the wife, and then he says the woman, and so he changes his word and what he's using to refer to uh, the wife. He could just say show honor to your wife, but he says show honor to the woman. It translates literally as show honor to the feminine one. This is startling to the readers. In the Greek world, for instance, the feminine was inferior. In the Hebrew culture, being woman was often despised and outcast. And in the theme of living countercultural, and being a witness of the hope and the wisdom and the humility of, of Christ in our world around us, Peter says that a woman's femaleness should elicit honor from their husband. The fact of their femaleness, not just that they're your your wife, but the femaleness of how they are made in the image of God should elicit honor. It could easily mean this. Don't treat your wife like a guy. And do not get down on your wife when she doesn't act like a guy or think like a guy, or treat you like you would hope a guy would treat you. Christian husbands should not be harsh harsh, or fill their marriage relationship with criticism or conflict, but instead should be positive and affirming. This kind of leadership is servant leadership. It is honoring the femaleness of how God has made our wives. Honoring includes utilizing the strengths of your wife honoring doesn't just mean honoring their weaknesses but it means honoring their strengths if you dismiss the value that your wife brings to the table and to your family you put yourself at a huge disadvantage so the leaders of the husbands so the, the leaders of the husbands efforts in the home are not the leadership is not there to establish leadership to establish authority rather the authority that is given to the husbands is given by god To create an environment in which the wife will thrive. In which the children will thrive in Christ-likeness. Where they are utilizing their strengths for the glory of God and the joy of the family. And fourth, marriage believers are joint heirs of the life-giving grace of Jesus. By going here, he is saying, with all this talk about husbands and the role of husbands the leadership of husbands. Let's remember something of the utmost importance when we're talking about the role of the husband and the role of the wife. The cross of Jesus, where he died for our sins, is the great equalizer. Marriage is a union of two weak and sinful people, even if we are weak and sinful in different ways. Peter is saying, let's remember. Let's remember that We are not talking about one who is morally strong and one who is morally weak, and so exercise leadership and authority in your home because you know better, husbands. He is saying, let's remember that you need the grace of God as much as your wife, and you are heirs, joint heirs in this gospel blessing. The grace of God is both a relational hope and it's a relational fuel for the godly marriage. That is given to husbands. A relational hope in this way. He describes it earlier in chapter 2. He, bore him, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. Christ gave himself for the penalty of our sins. We have God's acceptance. Husbands, you have God's acceptance. And love, even when you fail to live up to his expectations. When you fail to live up to being a godly and Christ-like husband. Those who trust in Jesus alone for his acceptance are assured of his forever love. Regardless of their character and record. This is a great hope. And why do we need this gospel? Husbands, husbands. And wives should realize, about, realize this about your husbands. Why do your husbands need this hope? Here's why. 1 Peter 3 is a charge to husbands, and let me paint this picture real broadly for you. 1 Peter 3, 7 is a charge to husbands. If you want your marriage to flourish, husbands, here's what you need to do. Listen to your wife empathetically. Pursue her. Get to know her. Speak to her without harsh words. Honor her strengths and her weaknesses. Confront your wife humbly in her sin and restore her gently. Nurture them towards spiritual maturity and serve her sacrificially, looking to her interests above your own. Be like Jesus. Okay? (laughs) Great stuff, right? Great stuff. That is the instruction to men, to husbands in their home. But there's a problem. We don't do this. And honestly, if you do one of those things, if you do one of those things really well in a day, you, you feel like you deserve to be, like you, you deserve a plaque in the home. You deserve to be honored by your wife. You deserve to be fed grapes as you lay on the couch and watching sports. If you do one of these things for an entire day, you feel like you, you're a great husband. But look at all, there's a problem here. We fail at being husbands as we are called to be, and this is where the gospel must be your hope. Our wives do not want our ultimate worship. They want husbands who know where their ultimate worship should go. This is a quote from Darren Patrick in a book called The Dude's Guide to Marriage. And this is a, a book that we added today to our resource um, uh, bookshelf out there in the lobby. And I hope that you pick up a copy. It's a great read on ten essential things that a husband ought to do to live with their wife in an understanding way. And it's a, it's a great book. This is, this is where men fail all the time. Men see this picture of what it means to be a great husband as something to be worshipped. And so they focus so much on, I need to be a great husband. I need to love my wife. I need to speak kindly. I need to honor her strengths. And all the while, we neglect our greatest, our greatest uh, God. And it's not our wife, but it is God. It is a worship of God. And Darren Patrick is saying, see, this is what wives ultimately want and from which everything flows out of. See, a love for our wife and listening to them and living with them in an understanding way is going to flow out of husbands pursuing God with, it, with such zeal and passion and joy. This is what wives ultimately want to the, for their husbands to ultimately know God. And then as an overflow of that relationship, they're serving their wives and loving their wives. Jesus is your Savior, men. Jesus is your God. Jesus is your example and the perfecter of your faith. Jesus will never fail you. Jesus, ladies, is the only husband who is perfect. Our effort to be a good husband or our wives or our effort to be a good wife is not our ultimate goal. It is not our ultimate treasure. For they will fail us. Husbands, your wife will fail you. Wives, your husband will fail you. They do every day. But when we worship God and through the righteousness of Christ, we will experience marriage as it's intended to be. And that's the only way. So it is this relational hope. Where is your hope, husbands, to be the husband God desires you to be? It is through pursuing God as your greatest treasure. And then that relationship informing how you will love your wife. That's your hope because you are a failure. I am a failure when it comes to being a husband. Look at the charge that we are given. We cannot, we, we are not Christ. We cannot be Christ. We have already failed this morning and it's not even 11 o'clock. And so we need to go to Christ. We need him to be our savior. We need to, bend our knee and submit ourselves ultimately to Him, resting in His righteousness for our own. But also, this gospel is not only our hope, but it's also our relational fuel A husband's biblical love for his wife finds its fuel and its energy and its resources in the grace of God. In the gospel itself, a man who is secure in the love of God is free to love his wife with a sacrificial love. A husband who knows that he has been born again to a living hope that is undefiled and unfading and imperishable and that's held in heaven and secure in heaven until he gets there with Christ can love his wife, can give can spend, can empty himself and pour out his life for his wife and die for his wife as Christ died for the church, knowing that he's going to be okay. And a husband who loves God ultimately will be freed up to say, I don't need you to be my God. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need you to be the best wife that I hope that you will be. Because my hope is in Christ and it gives me this fuel to love you, to sacrifice, to spend to pour out my life for you, to die. Because I have a hope that's unfading. When a man and a woman marry, they are pledging to stop viewing themselves as merely individuals and, are, and to pledge to start seeing themselves as a unified couple, pursuing the treasure of Christ together. Think of the opposite. If a man is not secure in the grace of God, He will need to exercise an unloving control over his wife through relational, through sexual, through emotional manipulation. A husband who does not find his security and his hope in what Christ has done for him will need the wife to be all those things. I need you to feel good about me sexually. I need you to feel good about me through the words that you say. I need you to feel good about... you the way you look at me relationally, so men can control their wives, and there's there's an elevated level of jealousy and harshness and bitterness and resentment. But when a husband, his hope is in Christ and what he's done for him, the husband is free to love the wife. To put it in the simplest terms, sin makes us selfish, but the gospel makes us selfless. The gospel frees us. It is relational fuel to love our wives well, and so Peter is stressing this mutual uh, mutuality of the relationship. The wife may be generally weaker in physical strength, but her role in the gift of God's grace is no sense weaker than the husband's. The Christian wife is a living stone that God is using to be, that is being built up into a spiritual house as we read several weeks ago. And the honor that husbands give to their wife is not because they have an equal share in the marriage, but because they have an equal share in the grace of God as one of God's holy people and holy children. So there's another reason that Peter stresses the gospel reality, the the gospel reality in the marriage relationship, and here's why. Because marriage, for all of us, is temporary in light of all eternity. The truth is, your relationship with Jesus will outlast your relationship with your wife. This is the truth. And I don't mean because it ends in divorce or death. I mean because our relationship with Christ is meant to outlast our relationship with our spouse. Our, relation, our marriage with our wife does not continue in all of eternity. For we are the bride of Christ, and we will be married. We are neither given to marriage, nor we are married. We are married to Christ as, our, as the bride of Christ. We are the bride, and he is the groom. And so therefore, this real instruction to men is not to pursue your wife ultimately. The instruction I leave you with, and God's word leaves us with, is not, okay, now go and pursue your wife ultimately. The instruction is to pursue your wife as you together are pursuing Christ ultimately. And don't miss this. You can find fun, I hope as an application of this, you can find fun new date nights to to do with your wife. You can spice up your sex life. You can go on new adventures together. You can get couples tattoos or I don't, whatever. <laughs> you can do these things. You can, you can be a better husband. But what you, you and your wife crave more than anything else is ultimately is to be intimately close to God who made you and loved you and loves you still. And if that relationship is right, you won't need to demand from your wife what only God can give to you. Pursue your wife as you pursue Jesus so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's pick that up and finish with that because this is profound. There is a way that a husband can live with his wife that will clog his prayers. This is crazy thinking. There's a way then that a husband can live with his wife that will unclog his prayers. The expression of your faith in Jesus becomes hollow and fake if it is not expressed to your wife. You say, my husband's a godly man. My husband loves Christ. My husband is a, a, a good man. He just doesn't love me well. Your husband's not a godly husband. This is so profound that, we, that the, the relationship, the most ultimate human relationship that, that God will give to a husband To express the gospel truth and to apply what he believes in the confession of his faith is his wife. And if you're not doing that to your wife, if you're not living with your wife in that way, then the Bible says in a way your, your prayers are hindered. God is so concerned with how a husband treats his wife that he will interrupt his relationship with the husband in a certain way until that husband repents of his sins and does as he should do. And this is, the Bible says, it's a a fatherly way of a fatherly loving kind of discipline that is for our good, husbands. It is for our good that God does this. Take time to maintain a good marriage. Take time to invest in your marriage. Your wife will thrive under your leadership, and it is a kind of grace-motivated effort that glorifies God and is pleasing to Him. Here are some great questions that you guys can talk about, you and your wife can talk about. Men, initiate with your wives on the ride home. Tonight, this week, find ways to ask questions throughout your, throughout your week together. Three que- Three questions. Husbands, ask this of your wives. How can I initiate with you better? How can I not wait until things are in crisis mode for me to act, but how can I initiate? And what areas can I help and initiate and engage in our life so that you can thrive under that? Second question, how can I seek to understand you? How are you... In what areas of our marriage can I understand you better and understand how you feel and how you act and why you do what you do? What frustrates you the most and how I react to how you're feeling? And thirdly, how can I honor you? How can I utilize your strengths in our marriage? How can I humbly uh, submit to your counsel and utilize what you bring to our marriage for the for the thriving of our relationship and our family. How can I honor you in your weakness? Do I make fun of you too much? (laughs) When you do something, you know, do I make fun of your physical weakness? Do I make fun of your emotional weakness? How can I honor you in those times when you're feeling weak, when you're feeling hurt? And how can I use you to make our family better using your gifts and your strengths? Man, can you ask those three questions? Can you go from here? you do that with humility, God will honor that. And as you're a praying husband, before the grace of God, recognizing that Jesus is the only perfect husband, he'll strengthen you, he'll empower you, he will bless your marriage. Let's pray.